If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, will begin with verse 24, and then we'll jump to verses 27 through 30. John 10, 24, and 27 through 30. Jesus is on the temple grounds in Jerusalem. And we read, verse 24, The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Verse 27, Jesus is speaking. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The end of the reading. We are continuing to answer the question, who's in the manger? A series based on the book by Lee Strobel, A Case for Christmas. In week one, we considered eyewitness evidence, which was very important to understand as over time, not one experience. The apostles of the early church and the writers of the Gospels certainly believed that Jesus was God's son. They consistently wrote about him, what he did, what he said, where he went. Every one of them, in unique places and at unique times, was not only willing to live for him with as long as they lived, but was willing to die for their belief in him and what they had written, they stood by. Not one defected. Last week, we considered scientific evidence, namely the science of archaeology. We asked, does archaeology confirm or debunk the evidence given by the eyewitnesses in the gospel accounts? The answer was consistent. In every case that archaeology can assess the answer, it was confirmed. They were spot on. This morning we consider profile evidence. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father, or in other words, one with God. If you saw him, you saw the Father. He declared that. We ask, does Jesus fit the profile of God's Messiah, the Son of God, as revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible? In other words, are the attributes of God exhibited in Jesus, whom we call the Christ? A definition of profile. It is a noun, it is a bibliographical, bibliographical, I'm going to say it right yet. You know what I mean. (laughs) Essay presenting the subject's most noteworthy characteristics and achievements. You can read as well as I can, right? Or better, perhaps. Profile evidence. What an interesting topic that is. This type of evidence began in England in the late 1800s. Witnesses were asked to give a description of a person, and sketch artists drew what the witness described. This created a sketch profile of the person that law enforcement used to apprehend potential suspects. Profiling has become much more sophisticated than sketch drawings. 
Today, law enforcement has developed psychological profiles, age profiles, sexuality and or gender profiles, nationality profiles, and so on. Many, many more. The current example of profiling can be seen on the many investigative programs on television. The most noteworthy of its kind is called Criminal Minds. How many of you have seen it ever? I watched it again this last week just to get my my head around profiling, because profiling also has a negative connotation in our world. People are profiled because we have biases. People are profiled because we don't like that kind of person. And it's been used in the news way too often in a negative way. The reality is there's also a positive way to look at profiling. I remember I was being profiled into my grandfather on my mother's side, Gus was his name. And they said when I was a little child, he looks just like him. Of course, I happened to have been adopted, so we weren't connected whatsoever. (laughs) But they said I looked like him. I had no hair. He had no hair. That's where it ended. (laughs) I became 6'3". He was 5 foot even. It just didn't. I mean, there was Gus. And then there was me. It just didn't make any sense. But you know how people are. They think someone looks like someone. They must be related or at least connected somehow. But in profiling in the proper way, the helpful way, we seek to understand everything we can about a person who may have done something really wonderful or done something really horrible. And it leads us to a suspect. The suspect may be I want to be like that person too, or maybe that's the last thing I ever want to do or be like. So it covers the gamut. Let's let let that sit there. In this message today, we will consider the profile, the attributes of God as given us in the scriptures, and then look also to see if Jesus fits those attributes. So we're going to fact check Jesus' own claim where he said, I and the Father are one, John 10, verse 30. Pray with me as we dive in. Heavenly Father, we may already fully believe that Jesus is your Son, a Son like no other, a Son who by his life and death for us has made us daughters and sons. But we also know in our world that many do not believe or know this. Please open our minds and lives with fresh support for his claim and ours that you and Jesus are one and the way to real life, peace in life, wholeness and health in life, abundance in life. May what is spoken and heard today bolster our faith and our witness that Jesus is indeed who he says he is and that we, his followers and examples, will be strong and clear in our faith. We pray this in his name. Amen. Profile evidence is not a glamorous thing to be involved in. It is a lot of nitty-gritty work behind the scenes. It's extremely important to do it well and to do it right. So in preparing for this message this morning, this is now number five in this sermon I had one in the beginning. I usually just have three sermons on any given Sunday. One that I prepared, one that I deliver, 
and one I wish I had done the next day. And a lot of people I know have heard the last two many times. One they heard and one they wish they would have heard the next day. But to go through this, I want to give us an experience. um, Well, let me put it this way. A lot of you are really good cooks, I know. I've eaten what you've prepared. Your gift is preparing. My gift is to enjoy it. That's how I work. I have a phenomenal cook at home. I mean, she is just amazing. And I love to eat whatever she places in front of me. Here's what I make well. I make the best reservations you can ever make. (laughs) Some of us are that way, and that's the easy way to do it. But in getting a restaurant to go to for reservations, we usually look for two kinds of things. One, we look at the variety on the menu, so we have choices to live with. Or we look at, they have small plate meals and they have large plate meals. I understand the word is tapas. And we like to go to tapas restaurants. There's some near us in New Haven that we've attended and they're really enjoyable. This morning, we're going to do a profile tapas. Because if we were going to really do thorough theology and biblical study on the attributes of God, we would be here until Christmas. The Bible is loaded with data, and if you do this stuff well, you have all the data on the table, not just a tapas or appetizer experience of it. So this morning you're getting a tapas. There's a lot more text. If you'd like more text, I'd be happy to give it to you. Spend some time with me, and we can do that. So recognize that we're not covering all the bases of Scripture, but I'm giving you a taste in each area. So, I have chosen just a few of the topics of the attributes of God. We will go through them together, beginning with what I call the big omnis. The big omnis. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Though those are technical terms, if you want to impress somebody who will have no idea what you're talking about, use those terms. They're really wonderful. But if you really want to know what they mean, omniscient, it's an adjective. It means all-knowing. In other words, knowing all that can be known. There's nothing that can be known that is not known. And one of God's attributes is he knows everything. Listen to Psalm 139, 1-4. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Know this, (laughs) pun intended, know this, God knows everything about every one of us. Everything about every one of us. And he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? But he knows everything. There's nothing that we do that he doesn't know. There's nothing that we think that he, does, that he already knows. There's nothing we've ever said that he doesn't know. There's nothing in all of life that he doesn't know about every one of us. That's one of the attributes of God. A second one, omnipresent. Another adjective, present everywhere. Psalm 139 again, verses 7 through 10. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere. Everywhere. That was revolutionary for the Hebrew people. Because for them, originally, God was in a box and carried around in the wilderness and put in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, wherever they went, and eventually put in that temple that they built in Jerusalem on the top of Mount Moriah. And God was there. But Jeremiah really broke the mold on this with the people, declaring that as they went into captivity, your God will be with you there too. God is not relegated to a box. God is not relegated to a church. God is not relegated to a space. And when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn, and the Holy Spirit began to live in the lives of people. We become the temple. In us. Wherever we are, God is with us. God has always been everywhere we ever go. There's no place God doesn't go. My mother loved to talk to me before I'd go out at night on a date or out with my buddies. And she would say this, remember, God knows everything and he knows where you'll be at all times. That was always so appreciated. I felt so, I felt so uplifted by those words. <laughs> They're true. But this is not a God who's going to squish me when I mess up. This is a God who loves me. And to come to know that when I turned 18 was life transforming. He had always been wherever I was. And he was always like, come on, Craig, come on, come on. I love you. What are you doing? Come on, I love you. He does that with every one of us. He is absolutely enamored with us. In one of his great series of writings out of Saddleback, Rick Warren began one of his books with this word, it's not all about you. Now he's writing that from a perspective of how we think about ourselves. If you think about yourself and it's all about you, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. But if we think about God, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's always been all about you. That's why he did all the things that he did. That's why he made us. That's why he came to redeem us. That's why his Holy Spirit is sent to dwell within us. Because for him, it is all about each one of us. If we take that on ourselves, we're in trouble. We're out of bounds. But he's still going to have it all about us for him. So omniscient is a characteristic or attribute. Omnipresent is an attribute. Omnipotent, all-powerful, no limits to the power. Psalm 89, verse 6. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Those are attributes of God. Three more to consider to make it a total of six, just a tapas of the attributes of God. Holiness, or the word holy, literally without defect, pure. Isaiah 63, quoted again in Revelation 4.8, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holiness. What is holiness? Okay, pure, without defect. If God said something about his character once, he wants to emphasize it. When he says it twice, he wants to really emphasize it. If he says it three times, that means it's of supreme importance, which is why he says, holy, holy, holy. Faithfulness. The attribute of faithfulness, another adjective, utterly dependable without fluctuation. God is 100% reliable 100% of the time. God does not fail. He does not forget. He does not falter. He does not change. He does not disappoint. You can count on God. God says he's going to do something. He does it. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel as he's about to leave them, and they're about to leave to go into the promised land. And he writes this in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. He keeps his word. He always has. He always will. And the final attribute to raise up is the attribute of love. It's the verb. It's the only verb in the collection. It's not a noun. It's not an adjective to describe. It's a verb. It's got action to it. It's the giving of oneself for the welfare, the benefit of another. It's got legs. It's got arms. It's got hands. 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the clearest, fullest definition. But I want to stick with the Old Testament on these attributes. For in Jeremiah 31.3 we read, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, quote, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. These are just six of the attributes of God given to us in the Old Testament primarily. The question Does the Bible itself declare these attributes in the life and the person of Jesus? We'll take a look. We begin with the big three omnis, all-knowing, omniscient. John 21, 17. The third time Jesus said to Peter, this is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Peter, remember, denied him three times, and then the rooster crowed. He was devastated. And Jesus is trying to bring him back to the good place where he belongs. And so three times he asks the question of Peter, do you love me? Listen to the third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He knows all things. And over again and again, we can read in the New Testament where the knowledge of Jesus is clearly seen beyond that of any other human around. All present. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He'll never not be with us. He is always with us. He has chosen to do that himself through the Holy Spirit, whom he sent, and his job description was clear. The Holy Spirit will never point to himself. 
If someone tries to tell you the Holy Spirit's off somewhere doing something, don't listen to them. That is anti-biblical. The Holy Spirit's job description is consistently and only to point to Jesus, to remind us of what he said, to remind us of what he did, to remind us of the cross, to remind us of the empty tomb, to remind us of forgiveness, to remind us of the love of God for us. He always points to Jesus. Jesus is with us at all times and all places. All-powerful, omnipotent. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus declared, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He just had to say the word. But in his character of love, he just did this and invited. He wanted us to have the freedom to say yes, which is what he longs for, or no, which is what he keeps doing this for, giving everyone opportunity to receive what he has. Holiness, literally without defect or pure. In John 6, we read, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And he was, without defect. And that's what was required of the lamb to be sacrificed to pay for the sin of the people. It took one who was completely holy, undefiled, without defect, and that was Jesus, and he surrendered his life for us. It's amazing, is it not? It's amazing, that kind of love. Faithful, utterly dependable without fluctuation. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. He did what he was called and sent to do. He accomplished it. And on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning by that, it's completed. The work I came to do is now done. People have a way to be redeemed. It is finished. So we can clearly see the attributes of God given to us in the entire Bible are matched by the declared biblical attributes of Jesus in the New Testament. So does Jesus fit the profile of God? Does he really have credibility to say, I and the Father are one? Yes. Now, what does this mean for you and me? So you did this. That's great. That was a little tedious. No, it was a lot tedious. So what does it mean for living my life the rest of this day and this week? Here's the application. Beginning with John 17. Jesus is praying the most eloquent prayer in the entire Bible. I like the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. But the high priestly prayer of John 17 is unmatched anywhere, in my opinion. Listen to what he prays, beginning in verse 9 of John 17. I pray for them, meaning the disciples and those who follow him. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave me. They are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Listen to this now so that they may be one 
as we are one. There's the application. When Jesus said at the end of his earthly walk with us, you will be my witnesses, he was not merely saying, you will be able to tell the story of my life and the meaning of it. He was actually saying, you will be examples of who I am and how I am in the world. That's what he was driving at. Jesus Christ calls us who follow him today to become like him. That is to have a profile which is a living witness of him for others to see. So as Jesus fits the profile of God, do we fit the profile of Jesus? Is the question. Are we like him really? I mean, really, are we like him? Okay, let's be clear. We're not all-knowing. Doesn't fit, does it? Are we diligent in studying the scriptures so that we can know what they say? We have three of the best Bible classes I have seen in church in over 46 years of ministry right here taking place right now, every Sunday, two of them, and every Wednesday night, another one. If you're studying the Bible on your own, all right, that's great, good start. That's a beginning, but get to a class where others are involved because we learn from each other. We have three phenomenal classes being taught. You probably can't do all three of them. Are you doing one of them? Do it. That's how we can become more knowledgeable. If you're going on the knowledge of what you learned in Sunday school, then you haven't progressed past grammar school. We need to know more, and that means know the Scripture. Okay, we're not all present. But we are called to be present with people when we are with them. To be with them as Christ is with us. And we are told in the scripture, don't expect them to come. Go to them. Go into all the world. We're meant to go. We're meant to be invitational. We're meant to be looking outside of ourselves. And not just to be good welcomers when someone shows up, but to be people who engage as we go in our life. We are not all powerful. But we were given the Holy Spirit and power when we received Christ, when we submitted our life to him. Is the Holy Spirit being exhibited in our lives? When someone says to us on a rare occasion, I'm really in a lot of pain right now, would you pray for me? Don't just say, yes, I will do that. Do it right then with them. Ask them, of course. Don't force it on them. But if they've asked, follow up right then and there. I've prayed in some of the strangest places because people have said, pray for me. I remember one time on a golf course. That's a real interesting experience with me. I have a ball in my bag that says, once I was lost, but now I'm found. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't hit that ball because I don't want to lose it. <laughs> but I've had guys who discover in the, maybe the third or fourth hole that I'm a pastor. All of a sudden, they are apologetic for the stories they've told, the language they've used, the things they've said. Oh, it's just been it's very interesting to watch them backpedal. And on occasion, some of them will say, well, would you pray for me in this? And I say, sure, right now, if you want. Okay, well, what are they going to say? They say, okay, so we pray right there. Wonderful ways to connect honestly, genuinely with people when they ask. That's what we're meant to do. 
faithful. We're called to be faithful. It's our goal on the last day, is it not, that Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful servant? Now, what, but, but Craig, I've messed up. Uh, but congregation, Craig has messed up. That's what forgiveness is all about. And God has forgiven us. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected by the one who dwells within us. We're to be a people of faithfulness. We need to encourage and help each other in that regard. And of course, love, the overall characteristic of our lives as Christians. To love God with our whole being, that means without any reservation. Are you sold out to God? Or does he get a nod or a Sunday? Does he get all day? Does he get every day? You make no decisions without first praying and seeking the advice of wise and godly people in your life. Love God fully by being fully surrendered. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's also without reservation. We sometimes get this notion that we need to fix people to connect them to the church and to God. I'm sorry. It's not our job to fix people. It's not our job to judge them. We're told not to do that. We're told to love them, to embrace them. Well, that's going to tell them that we agree with their lifestyle or their position in life. No, it isn't. It's going to tell them they're loved. It's just going to tell them that they're loved. That's what we're meant to do. If anything gets fixed in persons' lives, it's Jesus who will do that. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. That's what the Scripture is all about. That's why we let them speak, let them do the job they were meant to do, and we do our job, embrace, bring in, love, show them compassion and care. That's the work of a Christian. Any other work is extracurricular and probably distracting to the real work that we're called to do. So we've answered the question, does Jesus fit the profile as the Messiah, the Son of God? The answer is yes, he does. He fits the profile. But the real question for us and application is, do I fit the profile of Jesus? Do you fit the profile of Jesus? Not set in a way to go like this, but set in a way to go like this. Let's do this. Let's really surrender fully. Let's really put ourselves in a place where we can learn and grow. Let's get into the scriptures like we've never done before so we can become so familiar with it that our lives are marked up by it. There are some people who have Bibles that are all marked up. I had a rancher in California in a church I served. He said, you know, God's not really so concerned about how marked up our Bible is as he is concerned about how marked up our life is by the Bible. Let's get to know it so that it really shapes us to be like Jesus. May the profile of Jesus be us. May we be found guilty of really being a Jesus follower. Pray with me. Father, help us to take the steps we must to make and take to fit the profile of Jesus. Obviously, Lord, you've made it clear that the first and foremost thing is to surrender our lives to him as Lord. And help us then, Lord, to choose to put ourselves in places and in relationships that will help us to grow 
like him. Especially in this season, may Jesus be the Lord of our life, both as individuals and maybe even more profoundly as a church family. May Bethany Covenant Church and the people in it be known as genuine Christians, really like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.